but they chose eight kids and that was among those eight kids who were chosen to accompany our president his excellency paul kagame in boston us to receive his award what are the most beneficiaries so far how many youth already benefited from your organization since we started we've been able to impact the lives of uh, seven thousand and ten adolescents Hello everyone, my name is Resin Hawirema. This is a Made in African show that brings you true and original stories of Africans in a growing movement, highlighting the craftsmanship, creativity, and entrepreneurial spirit of African designers, artisans, and businesses. If you look about the issue regarding women empowerment, there is no way that we can impact women alone without also focusing on men. So there are different services that you get when you come here. We have a photo gallery that talks about the history of menstruation. In today's episode, we are with Amina Umhoza, an entrepreneur, menstruation activist and champion of adolescent sexual and reproduction health in Rwanda. She is the CEO of Sai Company Limited. She is the member of Mastercard Foundation Youth Advisory Group. Amina was recognized among the top 40 educational innovators in Africa by the African Union. So, Amina, what is your position to allow African teenagers use any available method to avoid unplanned pregnancy? All these people that are saying uh, no or yes, okay, I would give them an assignment to go and ask adolescents themselves and then take a decision from there. Remember, Made in African Show brings you weekly episode produced by NCB The Base One TV. Thank you very much, Amina, for being with us in the Made in Africa podcast. We are very honored and very excited to host you. And I hope our viewers and listeners they are also excited to listen more about you, your journey as a woman, African woman being a champion. So, Amina, to start, can you introduce yourself? Let our listeners and the viewers know. Who is Amina Umuhoza? Thank you so much for introduction. I'm also honored to be part of this conversation. Um, so my name is Amina Umuhoza. I'm uh, a Randiz, really passionate about women and girls empowerment since the childhood. Mm-hmm. I hate the social enterprise company called Saye that has the name of uh, creating different uh, sexual reproductive health creative tools for adolescents and women. That's what we do. We have a part of sexual productive help where we create games, comic book. We even have a center in Yamiramba called Kigan Menstruation Station, which serves as a safe space for adolescents to come and learn about sexual productive health. We also care about women empowerment in terms of uh, economic part. And this is where we produce locally made environment-friendly home decoration items and we employ teen moms to be the ones to produce them and after we sell them for us to have a stable revenue stream that can sustain our operations thank you okay thank you very much that is very uh very good uh introduction actually for listeners and the viewers to know who you are so amina where did you go to primary school and high school thank you so much <laughs> thank you for taking me back i went 
to study for my primary school. I studied in, at Ecole Primaire de Chimisagara. Okay. It was in the neighborhood. I studied there for six years. It was just a work distance from my home to the school. It was like five minutes walking distance. For my secondary, I went to two schools. For my ordinary level, I studied at Coops Kodere de Mirarukoma for three years. Mm -hmm. Later, I went to study at Fawe Girls School where I majored in math, physics, and computer. And for my uh, university, I studied in two universities, University of Rwanda, uh, SFB, CBE, for two years. But later, because I wanted to start my company, I had to leave it for to drop out for a while. Then I went back to study again, starting from the scratch at Mount Kenya University, where I now have a bachelor degree in business, international business. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. That's very impressive. So, I mean, let's ask this question. In your lifetime, what did you run in your life experiences during your primary that you think kept pushing you even in your high school as an African woman to be who you are today? Thank you. In my primary school, what I learned, because where I started, it's a government school, but when you look at the school fees that you paid, it was uh, around $2. To $2 per term. So you can understand it wasn't uh, uh, a school for children who come from a higher economic background. Uh, mm -hmm. You can imagine because even I wasn't the one to pay for my school fees. There was a, a project called Compasio that was paying that school fees, even if it was a little, but someone else had to step in to pay for my school fees. What I learned at that early age is to excel, to use the little opportunity that you have wisely because I knew that there was another person, another project that was stepping in to help me with my academics. So I had to deliver. I had to try my best not to fail my school. And another thing also, I was a, a shy kid. I noticed it at the early age. Uh -huh. I noticed it and I could see kids uh, dancing on the TV. You know, Chimisagara is close to Maison de Jeunes Chimisagara. Mm -hmm. I could see kids who are very confident, who can speak in public. And one day I was like, I want to be like those kids. So there was a small group called Utunyande, headed by Maria Johanna. She had like a, a small group of kids uh, where she was training them to to dance traditional dances, to speak poems. And I was like, oh, I want to be like those kids. So I shared the wish that I had with my mom, my supportive mom. Then she was like, okay, just go. You know where they train? Go to her first hand. Say, I want to join your group. If she agrees, of course, I have no issue. As long as you mix it with your academics you don't fail in your academics but i also if that's what you want to do you can go on and do it so i went there oh, good enough she accepted me and she was like yeah come and join the children so from there i started to boost my confidence i started to be a public speaker like that thing of low self-esteem started to go away and 
I believe that it contributed a lot to the person that I am today because I can be able to express myself without fear. I can talk to the bigger platform and even international platforms. There are even others that I've been part of. So it was something that started in my childhood that influenced me influence the person that I am today. So in my childhood, I learned to use my opportunity, every opportunity that you've given wisely and to use your talent. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's very impressive. So the reason I ask you this question is because uh, some of uh, your past interview and uh, somewhere, you mentioned how somebody told you you're going to be pregnant. So can you share with our viewers uh, the moment when you are bullied by a, a teenager boy? Like, did that also help you to be who you are today? Um, what can you share about us with that uh, period as well? I think it's a part of your past. Yes, thank you. Uh, I was in primary five. Mm-hmm. As I told you, I was a kid before I took a step to work on it. And because I was a shy kid, uh, you know, like sometimes you feel like you want to say no to your classmates when they are bullying you, but I had no strength to say no because I was very shy. Then I was that boy, he was my classmate, who were actually sitting on the same bench. He looked at me, he saw how I, I don't know how to say no. I, like When someone bullies me, I can't stand up on myself for myself. Then he said, Amina, let me tell you something. You are not going to reach 16 years old without having a baby on your back. So him saying that, he was also a young kid like me. I wondered why is he saying that? But I realized it's because I don't know how to say no. I don't know how to stand up on myself. It's actually one of the reasons why it escalated my thirst to work on my confidence. But later on, I also realized that even if it didn't happen to me because I worked on my confidence, it was a reality to many thousand and thousand young girls in the neighborhood because I could one day have a best friend in the following time i don't see her and later after like three years i go i I get information or we meet when she's selling some foods or vegetables on the road because she got pregnant at early age and getting pregnant at that age is a very sensitive talk to our community it's like a taboo yeah i can imagine yeah yeah that's actually a story about what happened and I believe it really influenced the way I see or view things starting from the early age up to now. Okay, so here we are now after your mom allowed you to join the Utunyanje. So you learned confidence. So Amina, can you share with us three events or three moments that happened to your life and you said like, you know what, as an African woman, Yes, I can. So in those moments, don't forget to mention your first trip in Airplane to present <laughs> other teenagers at the UNESCO. Yes. Okay, thank you so much. Ha, huh. my first my first started when I was young. I was 13. So I joined the troop because I wanted to boost my confidence. But later on, I got plenty of opportunities that are still even following me today. There was a request from the presidential office 
because our president was going to receive an award that he takes care of kids. It was an award from UNICEF. So he had to travel with a group of children. Utunyande was nominated. And after being nominated, Utunyande had to choose eight kids. Who were very many, but they chose eight kids. And I was among those eight kids who were chosen to accompany our president, His Excellency Paul Kagame, in Boston, U.S., to receive his award. It was my first time to travel in an airplane, and I was even the first person in my whole family to be able to travel in the airplane. So it's, it's a blessing that started at the early age. Since then, I started to view life in different ways. Uh, in Kinyaranda, they say that there is that saying that says that a bird that doesn't fly doesn't know what is on the, the other side. <laughs> and yes, yes. <laughs> I'm to, yeah. to, to, to translate it. So it really changed the way I view things. And I was like, okay, so if I'm from a poor family and I'm able to get these opportunities, it's like poverty is not a limitation. I can fly beyond it. I can be a great person. I can be someone who helps others to believe in themselves. I can be a problem solver. It really changed the way I view things. It really showed me that opportunity, the windows opportunities, opportunities have a lot of windows and they are limitless unless you limit yourself to be the one to grab them. So it really changed my mindset. Uh, that was the first one. Uh -huh. The second one, I was in senior six. I was about to graduate from my high school. And there was this competition that came in Rwanda. Uh, we were commemorating the 20th anniversary. So, so, so senior six, you are, sorry to interrupt you. Senior six, you are talking about like a secondary school. So our yes. listeners yes. of the year understand high it. School. Yes. Okay. In high school. So we're commemorating 20 years of commemoration of genocide against the Tutsi. And uh, there was a request that came from different uh, schools in Rwanda. The IRG's Trust organized a competition asking for poems that talks about the topic. So the main idea was to move from a school, you go to cell, you go to sector, you go to district, then the top schools go to the national to compete with other districts. So I was mm -hmm. selected to present Kigali City, other provinces actually. I competed, I, I wrote a poem. It was my first time to write a poem in, in English because I uh, used to writing in Kinaranda. Then I wrote a poem called The Sparkle of the Sun. Surprisingly, it was the first one on the national level in the English poems. Oh, really? Starting from the school to cell to sector to... It was a long, 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 like a long process. That changed my mindset. Yeah, it was awesome. the first time gave me a word. They gave me a laptop, a, a very good laptop, and graduating from the high school. So that oh was uh, so, that, so that so that was which year? Uh, it was in two thousand fourteen. Two thousand fourteen. Okay. Yeah, ten years ago. It really changed my mindset. I was like, okay, 
Mm, so I can also be something that I create. It was my first time to write a poem in English. And it became the first one. I was really happy. My family, my mom was there seeing me getting an award. Oh my God, it really changed my mindset and instilled in me the spirit of excellency inside of me. That was the second moment that changed my life. The third moment that changed my life, I was 16 years. There is something in Rwanda we call Children's Summit. So it's like uh, a small parliament of the children. You are voted by your fellow children to present them in the parliament. I was always viewing that on TV until I decided I was like, okay, but why can't I go and campaign in my community so that the children in my sector can vote me to represent them? And I went there, starting from Omodugu, from the village. And after, they voted me to represent them in the National Children's Summit. And I moved on the National Committee, where I was the reporter of the summit, sitting with the ministers, sitting with the, uh, with the senators at that early age, speaking in the parliament. Oh, my God, it was really touching to me. It showed me. And something interesting about it, we were not talking about ourselves. We're talking about the issues that kids have given us. It was literally training myself that I have to not only look on myself, also viewing the, the issues that my community are facing and bring them to the right holders to be held accountable. Those are the three moments in my life that changed me. I'm glad that it happened when I was a kid. Because it really prepared me for the person that I am and even for the person that I'm envisioning to be in the future. Oh, that is so inspiring, actually. Yeah, I mean, the viewers, they have their point of view. But for me, I'm very inspired with all of them. Yes. I mean, now here we are, you pass all of three moments and you pass it through all of that you founded the Sai Company Limited. So when did you found Sai and how is it connected to Dukatas, which also your organization? Thank you so much. I started Sai Company in 2017. Uh, this year we're going to be celebrating seven years of our establishment and where it is connected to Dukatas. Actually, Dukatas, let me tell you a little bit about it. So Sai is a social enterprise. A social enterprise mean we do social activities where we don't get paid but we also have the business part in introduction i talked about how we produce locally made home decoration items that are environment friendly and we sell them in the shops or hotels for individuals who want to decorate their homes for gifts things like that for the social part i told you that since the childhood the issue regarding sexual reproductive health and teenage pregnancy was on my heart so we spent much of our time for the social part, training, preparing games, different creative tools that fight against teenage pregnancies and, and the stigma around menstruation to be specific. So the social part of our business, we've given it a name because it's a program. So that program is called Dukatas. So it's one company that has the social part and the business part. In our social part, we gave it a name, which is Dukatas, and our business part we gave it a name which is say home decor so that's that's a brief about it okay actually it is very interesting because um, i have uh, 
so many questions and uh, some some of these questions they have some of the viewers and the listeners they was like we can't wait to learn more from her take us initiated educators what are the most beneficiaries and so far how many youth already benefited from your organization thank you so much since we started we've been able to impact the lives of uh, 7010 adolescents from all the provinces of Rwanda and their age bracket starts from 13 to 23 years old okay so are beneficiaries or women boys what the most beneficiaries some viewers they may feel like because you are women you much more focus to empower women is that true thank you so much if you look around the issue regarding women empowerment there is no way that we can impact women alone without also focusing on men without focusing on boys because these women if we, we boost on their confidence if they are very strong in taking the their decision but they're living with abusive husbands they're living in abusing homes we are not going to be able to achieve our result it requires a holistic approach that's the reason why in our trainings and in our focus we focus both boys and girls so 60% of the people that we've reached to are women and 40% are men and the reason why we also target men is because we believe that they can be an agents of change they can be for she for example is what our president has been able to do in Rwanda you see how women are performing we need if we imagine if we can have plenty he for she like our president but not only starting from the high level but starting from the grassroots starting from the village we will be able to see a positive change So that's the reason why for us we don't believe in one way empowerment it requires our collective efforts for us to be able to achieve the future that we are envisioning okay that is very reaching somewhere because as you said there is no way women can move alone there is no way men can move alone so now i mean sai initiated kigari menstruation station or a center for adolescent to run more about sexual and reproduction health can you share with us this idea and how this idea is working so far thank you so much part of things that our adolescents that we work together have asked us or envisioned is to have a place where they can come and learn about sexual reproductive health without being stigmatized and this is where the idea of creating a center that can be like a one stop center for information regarding sexual reproductive health and many menstruation because menstruation part is underrated when we talk about the wider topics that are inclusive in sexual reproductive health so with our Swedish partners called my period is awesome we've established Kigali menstruation station in in 2022 so the station is in existence for one and a half year we'll be celebrating the, the second year in May so there are different services that you get when you come here we have a photo gallery that talks about the history of menstruation and um, worldwide and with the random context about it we have experience chambers where you'll be able to share with us your personal experience regarding menstruation we have a safe space where you can come and ask a question that you have in purpose where no one is shaming you we have a bed where for example when you feel the cramps are heavy you can come and sleep for a while our bathrooms are period proof which means 
that you you can get the pads in our bathrooms. We have a small sewing incubation program, creative space for adolescent teen moms to come and learn how to sew different items. So there are different activities that have the creative tools like uh, books. It is a comic books, Kotana board games that we've created for someone who comes at the station to interact with them. So that's the idea regarding Kigali Menstruation Station. And we do receive visits. We do receive visits from plenty of people who come to learn. We have uh, we have schools, organizations that bring their kids, things like that. From the Kigali Menstruation, it's very interesting because there is another woman who was saying like, uh, it would be a shame if uh, an African woman is... Uh, to the period and is notable to find the the surprise so i think uh, for our viewers and listeners they are very inspired and uh, uh, ladies uh, women who i would mention that after but i just want to say it so now they know if they want to join and they want to be part and benefit from that center so amina what is your position to a role african teenager use any available method to avoid an planet pregnancy for example some people they support uh, some available methods some other people they don't support available methods some people even they mix with their religion so what is your position i'm sorry but my answer is going to be <laughs> some people can say that it's it can sound political but my answer to this all these people that are saying uh, no or yes okay, I would give them an assignment to go and ask adolescents themselves and then take a decision from there you're seeing high rates of teenage pregnancies and these are the kids sometimes they even give back like two times before the age of 18 so if you've seen the, the method that you've been having for the years is not working maybe it's time to combine with other measures to see if we get a good result. If we say that 20% of adolescents get pregnant, one in five girls get pregnant before the 19. This is a big number and the numbers are not going below despite different methods that are being put in place. But you're seeing that number going up. This issue is not only affecting the teenager. But even the kids that they give birth to, their kids giving birth to other kids, and these kids you find them like they're having malnutrition. So it's not something good. It's it's not something that good that we can be proud of. So I would, if I was the one to take a decision, I would put together, especially the teen moms and other adolescents, and ask them what they think they hear on this, and then I take decision. But not taking decision based on on the culture, taking decision based on the religion, taking decision from different parts. But I would hear what adolescents themselves are saying without influencing them. From there, we can be able to draw and get a concrete decision about this about most of the time our issues that we think for adolescents we think that they are very young to decide for their lives we think but they're getting pregnant and the numbers are going high so if we don't listen to them first and understand what they think about this most of the solutions that we are putting in place are not going to give any result so that's my take on it you are definitely right why don't we ask the question to the beneficiaries or uh, the vulnerables Remember, Made in African show brings you weekly episode produced by NCB The Base One TV.
All right. Thank you so much, Ms. Muhoza Amina, to give us the time still. I'm very honored and excited to host you in a Made in African podcast show where we bring very unique and true stories. So I want to ask you a question. Uh, you know, there are some words people, they talk in Africa. They say like, don't allow teenager know the condom like some words don't talk about condoms in front of teenagers don't talk about uh, a brush in, in front of teenagers to you uh, do you think according to technology is everywhere even if you don't talk in a class they will see it on youtube or they watch it on a uh, google so to you do you think is the time to talk and everything or people should not talk these such words in front of teenagers Thank you so much. By giving the experience of Rwanda, our government is not against us teaching about sexual reproductive health because there is even uh, it has even been instilled in schools. Even if we ask more comprehensive part of it for adolescents to really relate with it, but that's those are the words that we've had when we were still kids. So it's something normal to talk about about them. We even study it in. Uh, when you're talking about AIDS, HIV AIDS, and how to fight it in the prevention part of it, we get to talk about uh, different contraceptives, including condoms. So most of adolescents, they know it. Uh, and we got to abortion. For example, the law that we currently have in Rwanda, if you impregnate a child beyond 18 years of age, that child can be given an option to, to abort or if you are raped. If you are raped, you can also get abortion. So in that case, I would say that at least we are somewhere. In regards to other countries where you're talking about those issues, it's, it's something unacceptable. What we really need to do is to, to create more awareness about it and uh, to let adolescents, to hear what adolescents are asking us as a way of informing our decisions. Okay, that is very uh, make a sense. I know some of our viewers, some women in Africa, they are putting their feet into your shoes, thinking who you are. Now everyone will ask like the question: How is Amina when you meet new people? How is you? How do you behave when you meet new people? Nervous? How do you behave? I would say that I'm a, a combination of introvert and extrovert. Most of the people who know me on the social media or where we meet me talking about the work that I do to say, they think that I'm extrovert. <laughs> they think that I'm uh, outgoing, things like that. But deep down, I'm introvert. I'm introvert, but I've trained myself to not deny myself an opportunity to speak up. Because when you, you don't speak up, there's no one who's going to know the treasure that is hidden inside of you. So I'm introvert. But when it comes to work, hey, I speak, I speak out. <laughs> so that's who I am. Um, yeah. Okay. I enjoy to spend some time alone with myself, maybe watching some interesting things that I like and also thinking about uh, the next move. But I also enjoy to share ideas with other people. Yeah. So what is your favorite food? Because you travel a lot in many different countries. Back to Rwanda and the food you eat when you travel most. Burger, pizza. So the local, my local dish is, uh, my local dish is isombe. It's, maybe I like everything of cassava. <laughs> That grows from cassava because I, I like mumbati and I also like isombe. So those are my favorite local dishes. And something that I like to eat when I travel is french fries. Yes, french fries. 
Okay. So I know you have faced some challenges and you still face some challenges. What three challenges you see, see African women are facing, especially according to the examples you have from uh, the women or the teenagers you're working with? What are the main three challenges they are facing? And then that one who can also share your ideas. How do you think African governments can help to overcome these uh, challenges and you will conclude send a message to African women and the younger upcoming entrepreneurs in Africa. Thank you so much for the three challenges that are still being faced by African women. The first one is our cultural taboos that are designed in the way that they oppress women in different ways and Many that's the biggest one because even other things that I'm going to say, they have a close connection with the culture taboo. The culture taboo that are not in the favor of women, we are still fighting with them. The second one is the access to opportunities, equal opportunities where it's, it's something that can be rooted also in the cultural taboos. I mean, the development opportunities. And I'm glad maybe the countries in Africa that has, that, that be living in gender and women empowerment, but we have to admit that you cannot, for example, let, let me give an example. Let's say like you're saying, uh, both men and women are given equal opportunity to go and work in construction sector. Even if you say that, Men are going to be more. You're going to to get like 1% of women going there because you're giving opportunities, equal opportunities. But what have you done to empower them? If we are not empowering our women to, to join civil engineering and then after you say, uh, uh, so you just come and compete. You cannot, the people who are supposed to compete on the market are the ones that have close relationship to the capacity, intellectual capacity, uh, skills. So there is no way that they're going to bring those two people who have different skills, uh, different level of skills to come and compete before giving an opportunity, equal opportunity. As everyone has to ask themselves, what am I doing to empower both genders to be able to reach a point where they can com compete on the market? And if we also have that 1% of, of women who are able to, who have the skills and eager to grab the market, what are we doing to them? We are viewing them, they are weak, uh, this one is going to get pregnant and then leave the work. Things like that. We are starting to project our fears and negativity to them, the which is really not promoting the gender equality that we are talking about. So before giving equal opportunity, ask yourself, take a step back and see what am I doing to empower both genders to reach a point where they're in harmony to compete on the market. And when they reach there, I don't have to project my fears and the negativity to one gender because it's going to create the toxic market on one gender. So that's the second uh, challenge. And the third challenge that I would say um, is, is in regards to, to, how can I say, should I also say like toxic masculinity? Toxic masculinity is also a very challenging part that women are facing, especially the empowered one. Uh, for example, you work hard, you have a, a stable career, you are a woman, but then your your partner is start to be abusive, start to say, I, 
you I should be the one doing that, you shouldn't be the one doing that, shouldn't be the one saying that, or if even give a good advice, the partner can sometimes feel insecure thinking that you are taking his position. So it's it's another challenge that we all have to to face and to act on the issue of, around negative masculinity so that we can raise up the supportive environment of men who are full of positive masculinity who feel like women and men can all go together work together and be able to achieve things support their families as one unit things like that yeah let me add the fourth one yes 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 please the fourth one that i forgot is violence that is projected to women is also a very big challenge that women are facing so the message, as you also asked me to give a message to... Before we give the message to the women, so what do you think African governments can do to overcome some of the challenges? Do you think anything can happen? Especially, yes, es- es- especially so you working in a... You have a new role, by the congratulations for your new role in a G. CI, is it GCI, right? Yeah. Yes, just CI. Yeah. You're right. So, you, so now you connect with so many people from all over Africa. And I didn't go through your background, how you have been selected among African women. So now your role allows you to talk to other people. So what do you think African government can do to tackle these um, challenges? Thank you so much. <laughs> the first thing that I would challenge them to do is to stop taking decisions regards to women without having women on the table because there is no way that you yes you can you can try to feel uh something or being on someone's shoes but it's better if those people who know where it pains be the ones to take decisions so we need women at the table at the table of decision uh, in plenty different african countries women are not in political roles and we need more women in those positions if we are saying that we have a higher population of women globally, it means actually, technically, it should be more women <laughs> taking more uh, leadership roles because we are bigger. We are actually a bigger, a bigger population. I understand. Maybe that we can. Right now, we cannot be able to achieve the fifty-fifty, but at least let's have a tangible number of women in in leadership. Maybe forty percent. Yeah, minimum forty percent minimum. If we can have that policy, 40% minimum in our leadership position globally, that would be a, a very starting point. Yeah. So that's the first message to governments, governments of Africa. And the, another one also is the, of course, listen to them. They have to take time and listen. Sometimes they can take those decisions when they are sitting in their offices. But if they can go on the grassroots, for example, if you're raising an issue regarding the violence against women, and they go in themselves take like one day per week and sit with the victims themselves sit with those people who have faced the violence i'm sure that they would come with different decisions than the ones that they took they were taking for listening to women amina thank you thank you thank you very much we really appreciate thank you for your time i hope our listeners and the viewers they are already inspired to have you and we can't wait to host you in our future podcast and a future episode. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you so 
much for giving me this opportunity and uh, the message that I want to also give to other women is to dream big, envision the future that they wish to have and take part in creating that future themselves without waiting for another person. If you do that, you're also going to get thousands and thousands of people who believe in that and who are ready to support you to go forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, women in Africa, younger people, younger generation, young entrepreneurs, we hope you enjoyed. You can always go online. You go on Instagram, you search Umhoza Amina. You can always go on Google, search access all activities they do. And uh, you can always reach to her. Uh, thank you, Amina, and have a good day. Thank you so much. Have a good day too. Thank you for listening our episode. See you next time with your host, Celestina Wiedemann.